Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Wow, that's good. That's really good. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave, and I'll be your host this evening. I'm very pleased that all of you can join me downstairs here at the Leicester Square Theatre. So just to tell all performers about the time warnings, with two minutes to go, there will be a flash of lights like this. And uh, when you have to stop, there will be a bell like that. More about the bell later on. Excitingly, we're finally breaking out the piano tonight to uh, this room full of excited people. Our first act will be Alex Holmes who will be using this piano to play us a sad song. Please welcome Alex to the stage. That's what you need. 
true storyteller to tell you some tragic events from their real lives. And uh, tonight, that storyteller's going to be me. Well, it's not from my... <laughs> mind you, it's not from my real life, so... Well, it is my... Well, you'll see. <laughs> it is from my real life. So this is called Say It With Flowers. The understanding that I have of my grandparents' lives is fake. It comes to me in Chinese whispers from biased observers. It sloshes around in my imagination until it seems to make some narrative sense. My gran grew up in a small village in Yorkshire. She would uh, milk the family cow every day before she walked 10 miles to school on her own. Everything was in black and white back then. Everything was bought to last. Life was frugal and you grew into your shoes. My granddad grew up in India, a child of the Raj. His family rode on the backs of elephants. They shouted demeaning things at the natives and then laughed heartily, twirling their waxed moustaches. <laughs> now, that's the plastic flower version of the story. Brightly coloured, unreal, vaguely comical. A plastic flower looks like a real flower from a distance. But what do I actually know about them? Graham was born into a working-class Yorkshire family, and she'd hate it if she knew that I told you that, so... She married a man from a different class and she rewrote herself into the role of a respectable lady. And Grandad, he was born into a posh white family in India. And he was sent to England as a child when he contracted tuberculosis. For most of his life he was a doctor and he was a conscientious objector in both wars. When they met, there were fireworks or maybe air raid sirens. The Second World War was happening all around them. She was a nurse and he was a doctor. She was thrilled to meet a man descended from the aristocracy, a professional in a white coat no less. He spoke properly. She liked that. Sure, he was a socialist, but that's politics. That's men's talk. She had no interest in any of that nonsense. She should have taken an interest in that nonsense though. Later, she would have to shoo hippies out of her dining room and into the less civilised areas of the house when her husband invited them round for those dratted CND meetings. You can say what you like about bombs or banning them, but she didn't want boys with scruffy hair and dirty feet in the house. That nonsense was the fatal flaw in her plan. She would never find true class because Grandad refused to become a private consultant. He remained committed to the National Health Service and she felt that that commitment held them back. I now see Gran as someone stumbling through life in her own way. Same as me, same as my mum, same as everyone I know. I'm not saying she's a nice person. Every old and frail person has probably hurt people in their lives. But I see her as someone who's had a life, and that has to be respected. I never had that with Grandad. He used to play chess with us. He always won. He didn't really speak. He looked wooden, like his chest set, worn and tall and thin. I always saw him as an ent, wise, not too hasty. When he died, I was given this wooden elephant. It came from the Raj. I love this elephant. Its tusks are wonky. The chairs in their house 
were uncomfortable. Everything looked like the Queen might have bought it. There were all sorts of rules about which bit of cutlery you used first. All the adults were tense for reasons that you couldn't understand. Children were to be tolerated and silent. On the tables were bowls of things that looked like Bombay mix, but turned out to be something called potpourri. The taste of dried flowers in my mouth and a stifling silence all around me. Everything smelling unnatural. That's how I remember it. This strict woman terrorised my mother, passing the terrors down the line, the terrors that my mum passed to me. I'd heard the stories and I could see it in her eyes. Gran was a pantomime villain. And she isn't anymore. Now she's an old lady living in an old house full of old people in the countryside just outside Bath. She has her tea and cake every day at 3pm. She regularly lunches with a lady. They wear Easter bonnets at Easter. They get their children to tend their gardens and they have staff to look after them. In a way, she's finally made it to where she wanted to be. But she gets angry with the deer and the rabbits. They eat her flowers. They don't know that humans find them decorative. They just know they're tasty. At her 80th birthday, my gran had a few drinks. She, someone gave her the knife to cut the cake and with a mischievous gleam in her eye, she suggested that she might as well end it all now. The assembled family, holding their cameras and their toddlers in their hands, stared in horror as she swung the knife back and forth in front of her chest. My mum and I once sat with her drinking sherry from dusty glasses. She told us about her life during the wartime. She'd been a nurse in blitz-addled London. And when she talked of it, she seemed younger. I suddenly saw the girl from a small village who'd gone to a city being bombed and found excitement, freedom, and something that sounded like independence. I was shocked to hear such feeling in her voice, surprised that she was nostalgic for a time of war. It remained bright and light in her memory. It struck me then that I might have liked that woman that she'd been for those few months before she'd met my granddad before she put the mask on. When she moved into the house, the home, she finally became a completely real person to me. I'd love to get into all of this with her, adult to adult, hear the whole story from her mouth and find out what she really thinks about class, about freedom, about being a mother, about being a nurse in the wartime, about marrying granddad. I want to hear this story without the embellishments, but I don't know how to ask. So instead, when I'm around, which is rarely, I go to visit her with my mum. The last time we went, my mum stopped at a shop on the way and suggested I buy her flowers. Gran loves flowers. She has them all around her room beside carefully placed bric-a-brac. She arranges everything just so, and she still models herself on the Queen. I went to her old house in Limpley Stoke with my mum to stick post-it notes on things I might want. I didn't want much, but I wanted something. The bits of property that I salvaged from that house are ways to try and understand the lives of the people whose genes are inside me. Understanding who they are might help me understand who I am. I stuck day-glow bits of paper on a few strange-looking bits of furniture and the old school bell... That's, uh, that was to distract everybody while I found my place, but it didn't work. The old school bell that my 
Gran had used to call my mum and her sister down for dinner when they were children. In some ways, this bell was an instrument of torture, which I think we can all understand why, why it was after that. I think my ear's going to be ringing for a little while. It felt nice to be useful to my mum, the sort of thing that proper sons do. Visiting Gran in the old people's home is the same sort of thing, a taste of being a good grandson. The last time we visited, she took us out to her gardens, and as we stood looking down at the flower beds, Mum mentioned how she put sticks down to try and stop the animals. Gran sighed. Those creatures are determined. They think the flowers are veggie tubbles. She's always had a fake voice. She puts all the stresses in all the wrong places. Don't tell anyone, will you, dear? But I use fake ones. On top of her ruined flowers, Gran puts plastic flower heads. I smile at her. Don't worry, Gran. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> Thanks very much. There we go. It's also a good way of not getting rung off uh, when I went over time. So the next Stand Up Tragedy live show will be on the 7th of May. We're going to a new time, 8.30 till late. It's going to be a longer show with an interval, more time to drink, more time to see tragedy. And it's going to be a great show. We've got a really top-notch lineup. We've got Ben Target, or Ben Target, as some people pronounce it. We've got the Twisted Twins. They're going to be playing. I think I'm going to be bringing my ukulele along and playing a couple of songs, so we'll have a few ukulele-based songs. We're going to have James McKay, who performs the Book of Job. Tanya Hirschman and Vanessa Gebby will both be doing new fiction. We've got a true story from Tony Hickson. We're going to have a performance of a new short story called The House That Jack Built, written by Jenny Adamthwaite and performed by Louise Adams. That's going to be really great. We've got music from Anton Frank. We've got more comedy from Alison Thea Scott and John Kearns. And we've got some creative non-fiction by Natalie Hurahan. And the whole night is a really good mix of acts. I'm really pleased to be able to invite you to all come along. It only costs you £10 or £8. If you use the offer code TRAGIC when you book online, you get a couple of quid knocked off, which pretty much evens out the booking fee. Come along, really do. It's going to be great. How can we get tickets, though? You may be asking, well, it's easy. You can get them from the Leicester Square Theatre box office. There's links to all of that stuff on the Stand Up Tragedy website, which is www.standuptragedy.co.uk. We've got loads of stuff on there, actually, so you might as well go on and have a look. We've got podcasts of all of the previous shows. We've got videos. We've got stories. We've got all sorts of things linked up on there. So that's the way to do it. And now, on with... The show. <laughs> to cover for the fact that I've betrayed my grand's trust, let's uh, welcome Alex Holmes back to the stage for a third and final time. You can find more Alex Holmes at www.alexholmesmusic.com. Now you can walk alone 
If you've enjoyed tonight, all of you, please tell people about it. We also have stand-up tragedy hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, badges, and even underwear and dog coats uh, that you can buy uh, from uh, the website for a very expensive price, I'm afraid, but it's print on demand, so we don't uh, lose anything. If you'd prefer, you could donate some money to try and help us to uh, pay people a bit more than we're paying at the moment and uh, to do more with this night. You can find all about that and about future tragedy at www.standuptragedy.co.uk. If you're a fan of the logo, go and check out www.shavenravendesigns.co.uk where you can find out how to get a great logo like this one or other brilliant design work done for you at a reasonable price by a really fantastic designer. We're uh, releasing extracts from the nights as free podcasts available through iTunes, SoundCloud and the Stitcher Smart Radio app, which is free. So if you've got a smartphone, you might as well get that. The tragedy is over.